we produced a resource that's available and that can enable new discoveries. And we don't know what they're going to be, but there are many very curious researchers around the world, and I'm sure they will utilize this resource. Welcome to the Illumina Genomics Podcast, where leading scientists discuss their genomics research and how genomics is shaping their understanding of science and nature. Here's your host, Paul Broman. Well, hello and welcome to episode 29. A very special welcome to you if this is your first time joining the show. Whole genome sequencing is the process of determining the complete DNA sequence of an organism's genome. And that includes all the DNA in an organism's chromosomes. Next generation sequencing, or NGS, is currently the method of choice for the massive amount of DNA sequencing that's required. Although the cost of sequencing an organism's genome has been decreasing rapidly over the past few years, whole genome sequencing can still pose a technical and computational challenge. Today, we're talking about genome sequencing and assembly with Dr. Alexei Zimin, Associate Research Scientist at Johns Hopkins University. Alexei is a computational scientist, and he develops algorithms and software tools for assembling large genomes. Alexei, thanks very much for sitting down and talking with me about some of the work that you do in genome sequencing and genome assembly. I'm wondering if you could start off our interview by just briefly describing your background and telling our listeners a little bit about how you got involved in genomics, this kind of work. Sure. Uh, I got my PhD in physics from the University of Maryland in 2003, and I was working on problems in nonlinear dynamics and meteorology. And about a year before I graduated, my co-advisor, Professor James York, who is a brilliant mathematician, Japan Prize laureate, called me to his office and said, let me introduce you to an interesting problem. <laughs> and that was the problem of genome assembly. I started off by working on the problem of overlapping reads, which is an interesting computational problem. And I worked on the assemblies of fruit fly, Drosophila melanogaster, and on human genome assemblies. And uh, later on, in about 2010, 2011, I developed my own assembler called Mazurka, Maryland Super Read Cellar Assembler. And Mazurka was designed from ground up to use Illumina data either by itself or in conjunction with other types of data, such as Sanger sequencing, which is no longer used because of its cost, 454, ion torrent, and now Mazurka is using Illumina data okay. in combination with long-read technology, such as PacBio and Oxford Nanopore, to produce highly contiguous and highly accurate genome assemblies. You've obviously been doing this since at least 2002, and you've sequenced the genomes of a lot of different organisms. Some of our listeners are probably not going to be specialists in genomics and genomics technology. So in kind of layman's terms, I don't know if we can do it in layman's terms, but can you describe a little bit how the process of sequencing a genome is done today? What are the steps that you go through to do that? Well, sequencing a genome is finding out the sequence of nucleotides in a DNA molecule. Now, in almost every cell of any living organism, there is a nuclei containing the DNA molecule. It's the same DNA molecule in every cell. Now, DNA molecule is a linear molecule, can be thought of as a linear double-stranded molecule. You only need to know the sequence of one strand. It's arranged into chromosomes for most eukaryotes. And DNA consists of only four different types of building blocks or nucleotides. 
they are denoted by letters A, C, G, and T. Mm-hmm. And finding out the sequence of DNA is basically finding out the sequence of these letters of A, C, G, and T. And once you know that sequence, you know the complete composition of all the chromosomes in the genome. There is no technology at this time that would allow you to take a chromosome and put it into a machine and find out its sequence of letters. Therefore, we have to resort to assembly. What we can do, we can break up the chromosomes into fairly small fragments, ranging in size from 100 letters to maybe 10,000 letters. We read each fragment. Now, to be able to glue fragments together, we have to have had multiple copies of the genome. And what we do, we take multiple copies of DNA, break them up, we read each chunk, Mm -hmm. and then we figure out which sequences match together. And if two sequences match, it means they probably came from the same location in the genome. So the task of assembling the genome post-fragmentation and sequencing becomes similar to assembling a jigsaw puzzle. We always assemble genome into what we call contigs, that is contiguous chunks of DNA. You're dealing with a massive amount of data, really. So if you have 100, 150 base pair fragments, so you have multiple copies of a genome, and then you have a large genome. So you're going to have tons and tons of these short reads, right? Absolutely. Typically, we deal with what we call multiplex coverage of the genome. Coverage is how much more data we have than the size of the genome. Right. Typically, we use 100 times more data than the genome sizes. So for human genome, which is 3 billion bases, we would typically use 300 billion bases in sequencing data. For the pine genome, we used over a trillion bases of sequencing data. Wow. So it's not just a sequencing achievement to assemble a whole genome. It's actually a computational analysis achievement Definitely. As well. And as reads became shorter, the demands on the computational resources became much stronger. And sure. not only the computational resources, but also on the algorithm development. Because we have to develop efficient parallel algorithms to solve this problem of reconstruction of the genome from short reads in a lifetime. So we talked already about the cost of sequencing and how that's gone down quite a bit. And I can imagine from the old Sanger sequencing days of the early human genome project until now, there have been a lot of technological advances that have enabled more genomes to be sequenced. So in your opinion, how has this technology advanced over the past few years? Are there other technological or computational advances that have been really key that you think maybe are not generally known to the scientific community? Well, to get better genomes, there are two things that we can do. Basically, to get better genomes, we need longer reads. We Mm -hmm. need longer chunks. And that will allow us to get correct and easy-to-construct chromosome sequences. However, at this point, the technology only gives us two ways to get the data. You can either have short and accurate fragments of DNA, or you can have long chunks of DNA sequenced with high error rate. Okay, so short, accurate reads, long... Inaccurate, inaccurate reads. reads. We call, I, I usually call them long high error reads, okay. where the error rates in reading the DNA sequence uh, approach about 13-15%. Wow, that's quite high. <laughs> right. And with the Illumina data, the errors are less than 1%. Okay. So at this point, that's our limitation, and we try to make the best out of it. Of course, long reads are immensely helpful in spanning long repeats, but they're also quite a bit more expensive than Illumina data. So I've heard the term hybrid assembly a lot. Is that what they mean by that? I mean, simply using two different DNA sequencing technologies to take advantage of 
the benefits of short read and the benefits of long read. Yes. Hybrid assembly means exactly that. That is, you use data from two different sequencing technologies to assemble a genome. There are two ways to do it. You can either assemble the genome from long reads and then use short reads to improve the consensus quality, or the approach that we take in the Mazurka assembler, we combine the data early on. That is, we fix the errors in long reads using short Illumina reads and then assemble the corrected reads. You have been involved in a project to create a reference genome for the bottlenose dolphin. And I'd like to talk about that and ask you about how that project came to be. How did that start? How did you get involved in it? Well, this project started a few years ago, probably four or five years ago, when I met Cindy Lolly, who was working for Illumina then. She was a liaison for agricultural and plant and animal genome community. Mm-hmm. And she introduced me to Corinne and she said, well, we are running an internal sequencing project, sequencing a bottlenose dolphin in collaboration with SeaWorld. And we'd like to see if you could help us look at the data, assemble the data. And I got involved into quality checking the assembly and comparing the assembly against other published assemblies. And I took a lead on writing the paper on this genome. So you're sequencing a genome that's already available for scientists to study. So what's unique about your bottlenose dolphin genome from what's currently available? Well, almost all genomes that are published or available at this point, with the exception of a few model organism genomes, are drafts. That is, these genomes consist of sequences of fairly short contigs, mm-hmm. and they are neither complete nor very contiguous. You can always improve Right. On, on a draft genome, and a new draft will likely be better. Uh, well, you can always strive to make it better. Right. But also, there is another thing that could be done. You can take two genome assemblies produced by two different technologies, and you can reconcile them, producing an object that would get the best out of both genomes, mm-hmm. and that would produce a superior assembly from the two existing assemblies. So our contribution to this project on top of the existing assembly, was that our assembly has more sequence. According to our measurements, it has an additional about 12.5% of the genome. We made a more contiguous assembly, more complete assembly, and it can be combined with the existing assembly to produce a better result. Basically, what you've done is you've created this resource. In terms of the bottlenose dolphin genome, you developed some methodology as a resource that can be used for research on biology in human health. What is the scientific impact of that? How does that help in the future in genome sequencing and assembly? Well, why did we do dolphin? Dolphin is not a model organism uh, as defined by the National Institutes of Health. So there is very little to non-government funding available to produce a sequence of a dolphin. It's an interesting creature, Mm -hmm. but again, it's not useful for agriculture, it's not useful directly for human health, it's not directly related to human health, but we produced a resource that's available and that can enable new discoveries, and we don't know what they're going to be, Mm -hmm. but there are many very curious researchers around the world, and I'm sure they will utilize this resource, Mm -hmm. and that's the most important thing that we've done, and that's where Illumina and, and our gene contributed their sequencing money and their assembly effort to produce a resource that's open and available. And you've submitted that now as a paper. So the data is is available in case people want to go take a look at it. The data is available for anybody to download from NCBI, which is an official repository of the genomes and genome assemblies. 
And we have a manuscript that is currently available in BioArchive, mm-hmm. and it's submitted. It's under review at GigaScience. Right. And I, I read this manuscript, and what I found interesting particularly about this paper is that you're proposing this method for generating a high-quality phased genome. We can talk about what that means in a minute. Using multiple library protocols that utilize Illumina short reads. So first of all, if you could describe what a phased genome is and why have genome assemblies not been phased in the past? Well, when I talked about DNA sequencing, I oversimplified the problem. In reality, there is no single copy of a chromosome in a cell. There are two. One came from the father, roughly, and one came from the mother. So what we produced is an assembly that could be best characterized as a mosaic of the two chromosomes. And sometimes there would be regions in the assembly where the maternal and paternal chromosomes diverged, and those regions could be present twice in the assembly because the assembler couldn't figure out where to put this extra sequence, or assembler did not know that this sequence came from the same loci on the chromosome. There are large stretches of DNA where the two chromosomes are basically the same. And there are then regions of DNA that are completely different. On wow, the chromosomes. That's interesting. <laughs> now, what we have to do, we have to go through these regions of similarity and link the regions that are dissimilar. And that would allow us to create assembly of each chromosome separately. In some sense, the problem of creating a haplotype phased assembly could be thought of as unzipping the chromosome. And the new type of data that allows us to do that is 10x Chromium Library Preparation Protocol by 10x Genomics Mm -hmm. that produces a kind of data that allows for long-range linking. That is, we can figure out that two reads that are up to 100 KB apart came from the same haplotype. That allows us to link through a region of the genome that is fairly homozygous, that has very few differences between the haplotypes, and that allows us to phase the genome. And the benefits of the phase genome assemblies are that they're correct, because if you produce a traditional quote-unquote haploid assembly of the genome, it does not represent a sequence of either chromosome. It's a mix. So it's a natural mixture, and so far, this was the best we could do. At this point, there are very few phase genomes available. Dolphin is one of the first non-model organisms where we have a phase genome assembly. So that's awesome. So you have a way now to create these phase genomes, which biologically could be really significant. You can do it at a lower cost. And you've done it for the dolphin genome. But these methods that you developed, could you also apply these to other, basically to any mammalian genome? Because I imagine there are a lot out there that are probably not phased. Yes, the current method that's been developed by NRGene. And there are other methods that allow you to use the same data, the same kind of data to produce phased genome assemblies. But the current method can be applied to any genome. In fact, the more heterozygous the genome is, the more difference there is between two haplotypes, so between paternal and maternal copies of the chromosome, the easier it is to phase. You've been talking about a lot of the challenges that you face in research. So obviously there are technological challenges, there are computational challenges, all kinds of challenges. For you, what's the biggest challenge that you face in doing this genome sequencing and assembly, and how are you overcoming those challenges? Genome sequencing and assembly, producing the complete genomes, is not a solved problem. But in my mind, the biggest challenge in producing genome assemblies is that there are many properties of the sequencing data that are unknown and that are hard to find out, 
And they're unknown even to the researchers who design the sequencing protocols, who design the sequencing technologies. And so we, in developing genome assemblers, the main challenge is to know your data. Mm. Once you know your data, you can figure out how to work with it. But there are many properties of the sequencing data that are unknown, surprising, and it shouldn't happen, but it happens. So what is your vision of the future? Are there technological advances that you think are coming, that you hope are coming? What types of advances are you looking for to enable discoveries in genome sequencing and genome analysis? And then the final thing is, what excites you the most about the potential of some of these future sequencing technologies? We are looking forward to getting cheaper sequencing technologies because we can do more with our budgets and to really study the genomes. We really need to have multiple genomes assembled properly. At this point for human genome, for example, there are very few individual human genome assemblies that are available, high quality individual human genome assemblies. To be able to really understand human genetics, we need probably tens, uh, if not hundreds, of humans sequenced and assembled completely. The biggest challenge at this point in medicine is getting individual genomes sequenced and assembled properly at low cost, and that will enable us to advance the medicine, advance genetics, fight cancer, and enable majority of discoveries going into the future. That's awesome. I hope the message that goes out is, even though the Human Genome Project ended 15 years ago or so, this is still a work in progress, and there's a lot of technical innovation, a lot of computational innovation that still has to go on and is going on, and I'm really happy that you're doing some of that, Alexei. So thanks very much for joining us on the Illumina Genomics Podcast. Thank you, Paul. So a phased genome assembly allows scientists to identify the DNA sequence of the maternal and paternal copies of an individual's 23 chromosomes. This type of genomic information is often important for understanding gene expression patterns and for disease research. But phasing a genome is challenging and costly. Linking short reads can improve genome assembly, and this approach has recently been used to cost-effectively produce a high-quality phased genome of the bottlenose dolphin. Thanks to this approach, the dolphin is now one of the first non-model organisms where we have a phased genome assembly. And this method can also be used for any large genome. If you like today's show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. Join me next time when I'll be talking with Dr. Ted Abel, Professor of Molecular Physiology and Biophysics at the University of Iowa and Director of the Iowa Neuroscience Institute. We'll be discussing transcriptional and epigenetic mechanisms of memory storage here on the Illumina Genomics Podcast. <laughs>